Before we go any further today, I'm going to introduce you to our guest. Of all the people that I know across this world, I admire this man in a very special way. He's been here, I think, three previous times, and uh, I think we should honor people who deserve honor. I will tell you that if you want a hero, I'm going to have one in the pulpit today. I, I, I have a right appreciation for someone who can take a round ball and put it through a round metal ring. I understand. I understand somebody that can skate on ice and stay off the floor. I'm really good about that. The last time I went ice skating, the guy came up to me that owned it. He said, would you consider taking your money back, me buying you a hamburger and stay off the floor? I don't know why. I just injured too many people, I guess. I'm just, I, I, I appreciate a guy that can stand flat-footed and throw a 50, 60-yard pass. I really do. But they shouldn't be heroes. You know what? They get paid quite handsomely. And I'll be honest with you, if they, this country that allows them to make five, ten million dollars a year and they won't stand for that flag, I'd like to say see you later. Because I want to tell you, amen. Amen. But here's a man who served our, in our military. I'll let him tell you all about that all these years. I, if you don't know his story, you're, I think, about to hear it. This is truly a hero. All the glory goes to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, but this is an honorable man. And Dave Reaver, if I've ever had a spiritual hero, you are among them. Sometimes spirit locks into spirit, and that's the case with my wife and I and Dave Reaver. Will you please welcome a genuine hero in the kingdom, Dave Reaver. Thank you, General. I love you. Oh my goodness. Well, good morning. Ooh, what a treat to see all of you. Thank you for your kind reception and pastor, your beautiful words. Undeserved as I may be, I thank you for the honor. I am 74, but I'm going on 50. And Hollywood says 50 is a new 30. It's the only thing they ever said that's true. And if you believe in common core math, I'm 21. I believe in common core math. If you can lie and love it, go after it. <laughs> Y'all are just amazing. And I'm here because I love you. I don't have to go back anywhere I don't want to. I'm here because I wanted to be here. You know, that's important because if we need each other, that's kind of a chain. I just can't make it without you. I'm here because I want to be here. That's the big difference. Desire over demand. But it's a joy to see all of you. Last night, your pastor and his wife entertained Dave and Kathy and myself in the most amazing way. We had hours together to just fellowship. And the longer you're around people, the more you get to know them. And I'm just going to tell you something. You need to get up every morning, bow to the east, and thank God you got a pastor and his wife like you've got in this church. They are real people. And I think your music is pretty fantastic. Even the drummer, I don't know about the bulletproof glass, I thought he's good. I go to some churches and when they start out with, y'all pray for us while we try to sing, you know you're in trouble. 
They start singing, and boy, I started praying. <laughs> it was bad. But this church has it all together. You guys, I travel all, that's all I do. It's, I mean, I'm, I tra I'm in 50, at least 51 churches every year. I take Sunday off for Christmas, but I'm in 50, 51 churches every year. If I'm not in church on Sunday morning in America, I'm on, in a military installation somewhere on a Sunday morning in Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, UAE, Afghanistan, Iraq, Bosnia, Kosovo, South Africa, North Africa, South Korea, wherever they send me to be of the troops, I go. And what's really cool is I'm 74 and they're still writing contracts. They usually quit at 65. When you're 65, they're through with you. How come they still write for me? I'm gonna tell you why, because if you put good food on the table, people are gonna come eat. That's why this church is doing good. Look at you. Post pandemic, most churches are 90% empty. People scattered and they found out the difference in counterfeit and real people, real Christians. Boy, that pandemic sorted them out. And look at the crowd this morning. Give yourselves a hand. I love you guys. It's a beautiful picture to see. Anyway, I've got a lot to say and uh, I don't want to say it all up front because I have with me as I have for over 31 years, Dave and Kathy Wampler who've served faithfully with me. Now she's booking all over the country as one of the great American lady speakers in our country and I'm privileged to have her with me a few more times before she's totally gone. But would you welcome Kathy Wampler to come sing for you and to share a little bit this morning. There you are, Kathy. Talk to him a little bit. Okay. Oh, I, I wasn't sure how this is a fancy mic. I was hitting all the buttons walking <laughs> up the steps and it worked. Phew. Okay. I just have to yell otherwise. But guess what? I'm from Muskogee. We know how to yell. Anybody from Muskogee? Yeah, we don't need a microphone, right? I'm not sure if this is good territory to say you're from Muskogee. I don't know how the, where the battle lines are. Anyway, it's good to be in the house of God. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I uh, was recently, we were traveling, all of us were traveling down the highway, a particular part of the country, and we passed one of these signs on the highway that said, prison area, do not pick up hitchhikers. Have you seen those signs before? Now here's the truth, when I see that sign, here's what I think. I don't need a sign for that. <laughs> I, I mean, God's gonna have to really just tell me to pick somebody up. I'm just not into that, personally. That's not what God's called me to do. So I would just drive right by. But, and you know, the one time I did pick up a hitchhiker, when he got in the car, he asked me if I was worried that he might be a serial killer. To which I replied, it's highly unlikely there are two in the same car at the same time. <laughs> All of a sudden, he wanted me to stop, pull over and let him out. I don't know. I'll... Go back to prison. <laughs> okay, that's a joke. I didn't, that never happened. But, but here's the thing. If I pick up a hitchhiker, here's where my mind goes, here's where the process goes for me all the way down this, this train of thought is, you know, I, first of all, they might harm me. I, I'm gonna have to do something with them. I'm gonna have to feed them. I'm gonna have to take care of them. All of a sudden, this person becomes my responsibility to some degree. But I kept passing the sign, and as we went down the road, I got to thinking, Kathy, as silly as it is to think you'd ever pick up a hitchhiker, how many times in your spiritual walk do you pick up spiritual hitchhikers? Doubt? Fear, suicidal thoughts, feelings of inadequacy, depression, 
You've got a list. You've got something in your mind right now. You're thinking about a little spiritual hitchhiker. You even brought him to church today. You know, in Isaiah, the prophet tells us that if we will keep our minds stayed on Christ, he will give us perfect peace. So here's the thing. When that little hitchhiker of depression tries to hitch a ride, just think about Jesus. When you get suicidal, just think about Jesus. When you get anything in your life, fear step up into your face, just think about Jesus. Get your mind focused on Jesus and he will keep you in perfect peace. Not just enough, not just a little. He will keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Amen? What a, we need to keep our mind on Christ today because this world is a mess, right? So I wanna keep my eyes on Jesus and let him keep me in perfect peace. And let me tell you, there's one way to do it. It's to spend time in his presence. Here at church on Sundays, Wednesdays, whatever night you come to church. And when you're home, spend time in the presence of Jesus, in the sweet, calm presence of Jesus Christ. That's where you're gonna find your peace. In the calm of your presence, I am listening, Lord, I am still, I am quiet, I am yours. In the calm of your presence, I am
What a beautiful song. What a truth about it. Kathy, help me out a little bit. If we can, we'd like to let you know we have a few products. I want you to also know none of these are of personal gain. I in no way take any royalties. I do not take any sales percentages. Zero. This goes to our purpose of reaching our warriors and paying all of their scholarship fees to go through our program that is written up with DOD as a faith-based organization, and they still send me their wounded warriors. What do you think of that? That's pretty awesome. This pays the bill. So with that said, Kathy has three albums that are wonderful. That song and many like it are on these albums. Pick one up on your way. But get them all three on your way out. She would appreciate it if you pay for them. <laughs> also available on DVD is my entire story presented in a very unique way. I think you'll enjoy sharing it with your friends. You won't be embarrassed. It's well done electronically. It's the best editing we've ever seen. And it comes out of a church in Dallas-Fort Worth called Gateway Church. And it's one of the churches I enjoy frequent visits to with Pastor um, Morris, Morris. <laughs> Robert Morris. I almost said Pastor Roberts. A book called Scarred. This is autobiography. This is a story from childhood to this date that I still see the fingerprint of God on my life. You'll discover in reading this, it's not about me. It's really about you. And here's how I say that. If God can do this in my life, I am no, he's no respecter of persons. He can do it in your life. You'll see that the, the hand of God from childhood in your life is why you're still sitting there living and breathing. He has a purpose for your life and nothing can pluck you out of the hand of God. So don't jump. Stay in the hand of God. Amen. This book will take you all the way through from childhood and you can see how I was framed by the hand of God to do what I do with the military today, worldwide, all over the nation and worldwide with our troops. And a book called War and Recovery, short stories that I say from the mission field to the battlefield. Every story has a unique scripture that verifies that story into your life, the reader, proving you do not have to go to war to get hurt. I went to war, got hurt, came home with a purple heart. Some of you went to divorce court, got hurt, came home with a broken heart and a broken washer. And the ex cut the dryer and it worked. The book is about life not being fair and how you deal with it. I think you'll find it fascinating. And for the first time ever, you're the first congregation to see this, our brand new shirt, Operation Warrior Reconnect, with our wonderful logo of family being restored, friends being restored, and relationship with God being restored. Family, friends, and faith. Operation Warrior Reconnect is the program that has been operating now for many, many years in bringing our warriors back home emotionally and spiritually as much as physically. Be the first to get this shirt. Be the first on your block. <laughs> so you're the first to be offered this shirt. I hope you'll enjoy it. I designed this one myself. I did not have a designer come in and do all the work. I wanted, to, I wanted to say what I wanted to say. And I think it did it pretty well. I hope you'll pick that up, be a compliment to me in doing so. I know that sounds a little cheesy, but let's make it happen. I'm gonna sit down to talk to you this morning. I'm gonna pull this over a little closer to that table. Uh, in 2010, I was in Iraq with, with the Special Operations Command. And uh, I jumped out of a helicopter and my feet went out from under me in the sand and I hit so hard I broke six vertebrae instantly crushed them and I went paralyzed my left leg wouldn't work at all I was uh, they put me on the table and opened me up and did put in 12 screws and two rods I'm an inch taller than I used to be 
Go figure. If you have a short man complex, break your back. That was stupid. Uh, in, in doing so, I, I don't stand very long, very well. And I apologize for sitting through worship, but I didn't want to come up here and be cramped up in my back. The nerve damage is all corrected, but not the muscle tissue. It just never did, never did come back together right. So thanks for letting me sit. Uh, there's something I want to talk about for just a moment that I need to address because some of you are very dear to our ministry and heart. Uh, some of you support our ministry on a monthly basis. And some of you are guests from different parts of the area that have come together uh, to be with me. And I, I want to say this to you first and then to those of you that were new. Uh, you know I lost my wife recently. Uh, she passed away uh, four months ago. And it's still very, very tender in my heart. But uh, I'm not accustomed to the fact that she could have left at any point in all of our 53 years of marriage. In fact, when I was still in the war in Vietnam, by the way, I asked her to marry me when I was 16. Uh, she slapped me. <laughs> she was 13. <laughs> she, was, she said, I'm only 13 years old. I said, but you have the body of a 14-year-old. <laughs> she slapped me again. Uh, she didn't appreciate my humor. But her dad said she could marry me as long as she graduated from high school first. So she did, and uh, she graduated at 17. We married immediately following that on her birthday at 18. And I, uh, I married this girl and went immediately, was drafted and went into war. While I was in Vietnam, she went to work at a place called Allstate Insurance. You're in good hands, right? Well, there was a guy that wanted to get her into his good hands. And he tried to date my wife who wore the ring and announced everybody, my husband is in Vietnam fighting for our freedom. He tried to date her. Well, I got even with that sucker. Today I buy state farm insurance. Well, I showed him. Then I got injured and I was in the hospital. And of all places, I'm laid up in the intensive care unit in the hospital for one year and two months. The first four to six months, and I don't remember exactly how long I was in the ICU. And I didn't even know what that meant until they gave me the robe and it doesn't come together. It's called the ICU. <laughs> I saw me too and it was embarrassing. But I'm in this intensive care unit. I'm laid up in the bed and I got tubes hanging out of me. And this guy kept trying to touch my wife and he was stalking her and she told me. And it just, I just about went saying, what could I do? I'm laid up in a bed with tubes out of every office and a few offices I didn't have before. And he's trying to mess with my wife. I said, I got you, baby. Don't you worry, I, I, I'll take care of it. Well, that night I started breathing real fast, real deep until I hyperventilated. And it set off the alarm. He came running in there about two o'clock in the morning. And then I started mumbling real quietly. And he got his ear down real close to hear what I was saying. And I bit him. <laughs> I bit him right on the ear. And I held on to his ear while I threw my clenched teeth. I said, you touch her and I'll kill you. So I told him, I'm going to choke him with a hose in my nose. I didn't know what I was going to do. How could I defend her? Scared the guy so bad he transferred off that ward and never came back. Then there was the third guy. This guy was the professor at the university we both went to after I got out of the hospital. We wanted to finish our education. And he brought her flowers. I never saw him, but he saw me one day at school. 
And he figured, if I look this bad, the other guy didn't make it. He never messed with her again. And then finally, the fourth guy, and he's the guy that really baffled me because of all of them, he's the one that really did love her. He really did. And he brought her gifts that I, I couldn't even, I, I couldn't get, much less afford. He treated her with great respect and, and he stole her heart and she ran off with him. And I got his name and where he lives. His name is Jesus. And he took her to a place called heaven. And I told him it was okay. And he said, if I was really a good boy, I could see her again. So, I'm going to be a good boy. Because I have hope in Christ Jesus, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And when I go to heaven, no offense to my sweetheart, but I'm not going to see her first. I'm going to see the guy that stole her. And I'm going to tell him, you done good. We both had good taste in women. And I'm going to worship the Son of God for who he is. And I'll get around to Brenda because I'm going to tell you, when, he's, when she saw him, she was saying, Dave who? Because that's what heaven means to me. It's not streets of gold. They could be asphalt. We'll wear rings of concrete. Have you seen my 14 karat concrete ring? He paved the street with gold, not concrete. Because gold is meaningless to him. Gates of pearl. Can you imagine the size of the, of the, of the crab? Uh, of the crab that, what do you call them? Uh, oyster, yeah. You imagine size of an oyster with it. Make a gate out of a pearl? That's pretty big. I could care less. I don't care if it's plastic or pearl. I'm going to heaven for Jesus. How about you? Let's give it up for Jesus. He's the reason we live and breathe today. So with all that said, that's behind us. I want to tell you, we are coming out of a dark age in our nation and in our world right now. Uh, I have a, a couple of scriptures that the Lord gave me just, uh, I want to share them with you. Some of them, the Lord, a few of these, the Lord gave me before the pandemic. And during the pandemic, I tried to experience what it meant. Now I understand more than ever. But there's a scripture that I want to read. It comes from... Hebrews chapter two, it's not even my text, but it says so much that God delivered them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He delivers people that have all their life been subject to bondage. Their fear literally brought them into bondage. Do you know what the pandemic did? It so terrified the world, they live in bondage. They are bound by fear and they look to politics to deliver them. They look to scientists who don't even know their own science well enough to know the answer to deliver them. But my Bible says that we walk by faith, not by fear. 
Say faith. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things you cannot see. You live by faith. You walk by faith, not by sight. If you can see it, who needs faith? It's there. What you cannot see, you can yet have. Those things that are not, are brought into being as though they were by faith. And I'm not suggesting that you say something's there that's not there because it fit the profile of some, some formula by a television evangelist. That, that's not what I'm talking about. I tried that stuff. I tried that when my mom was passing. I did everything certain evangelists on TV told me to do, and she died anyway. I said, well, I'd rather the evangelist die than my mom die because his, his formula didn't work. And I was really mad at the evangelist. I didn't blame God. There's some things, you know, we, we say it as though we think it's a magical term. That's not faith. That's, that's mysticism. But I want you to understand, when we live by faith, we behave in a faithful manner that allows us to believe those things that we cannot see should be and will be and are by faith. So it's, I hope I haven't confused you there. I prayed vehemently that God would heal my wife and I already believed she was going to come out of that hospital. I already believed it. And one day I got so fed up with them telling me I couldn't see her. I just went up to the hospital. I said, I'm going to see my wife. I don't care what your rules are. I'm going to see my wife. And I didn't realize they caved immediately. They said, okay, we'll call it a compassionate visit. I said, well, why didn't you call it that to start with? That way it wouldn't be so demanding. They let me in, but they had me so clothed up. I thought I was in a nuclear facility. She didn't even recognize me. Then I walked in with all the face masks and the face shield. And she, she looked up at me confused. I said, it's me, your long lost husband. The last word she ever spoke to me was that day when she said, oh, Davey, I love you. And that is the memory I hold on to. My faith is I will see that woman again. My faith is I will see the one who took her. My faith is I will be as he is in that eternal day with life everlasting. That's my faith. You know what that does? That delivers me from fear. I don't live in bondage. I live every day of my life. I'm happier than I ever thought I could be. I'm not saying I'm happier than I've ever been. I've been, I was happy 53 years with that woman. I miss her, but I never dreamed I could be this happy. I'll tell you something else. I've never sensed such an anointing of the Holy Spirit in my entire lifetime of ministry as I'm experiencing in the last four months because God has come to me in a powerful, powerful way. And he told me the other day, suck it up, buttercup. Quit feeling sorry for yourself. A lot of folks lose their loved ones. A lot of guys have lost their wives and vice versa. So get over it, dude, and get on with the ministry. And you know what? That's exactly what I've done. Two weeks after her celebration of life, we'll call it, I was with the Special Operations Command Pacific with the Navy SEALs, the Green Bray, and the Special Boat Team Commanders for the entire Pacific. And when they said, why did you come when we gave you an opt-out? Two weeks later, you're here? I said, I'm here because I practice what I teach. Resiliency is what I teach for the Comprehensive Soldier Fitness Program for all four branches of the military. And I said, what would it say to you if I've been to the brink, the darkness is there, and I couldn't walk away from it, and I come tell you, you should walk away from the darkness and get on with your life, and I couldn't? I said, I'm practicing what I teach. This is living evidence that the God in me is greater than the darkness out there trying to swallow me. They stood on their feet in a roaring ovation. That's what we preach to you today. And I want to read a scripture for you, and I just think it's very appropriate. And it, it, it comes out of 
Second Corinthians, as Donald Trump used to say, two Corinthians. <laughs> I loved it. Well, anyway, first chapter, the first, the last five words of verse three introduce verse four. The God of all comfort. Say that with me. The God of all comfort. Listen to these words in verse four. Who comforts us in all, not lots of, most of, but all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any, not just some of, but you name it, if they're in trouble, we got comfort. By the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. God didn't comfort us to make us feel better. He gave us comfort so that we can feel better to say to others, this comfort really works, try it and you'll like it. That's what comfort's all. But until you know what comfort is, what are you talking about? You see, when I was growing up, I found out I wasn't what I thought I was. When I was born, I don't misunderstand me. I don't identify as a woman. I saw the other day a guy on a motorcycle who identified as a bicyclist. And he won all the races. Let it soak in. See, I, when I was born, my mom almost died. She didn't recover. And for the next decades, she was curled up in a fetal position. Started out in a wheelchair, ended up in a fetal position, nursing home. Weighed 68 pounds when she died. And for decades, couldn't say a word. We don't know if she could hear or understand a word. Fed on a feeding tube and lasted all those years in a living hell in a little home. Nobody could help her because you know, I, I did everything I could to bring in nurses to our home. And they said, no, she has to have 24-7 eyes on her at all times to live. It was horrible. So when I was born, I felt responsible as a child. I, I killed my mama. You know, she's a dead woman laying in a bed, still breathing, but can't communicate. I had a Mexican nanny, Maria Rubio. You can see I learned how to roll my R's. My first language was Spanish. I didn't learn English till I was six years old. Had to learn English to go to school. Then they told me I was not a Mexican. What does that do to your Hispanic mind? It blew it. I short-circuited. They said I cried for weeks. I found out I wasn't what I thought I was. There was a word I learned as a child called pobrecito, which is... Poor little boy is basically what it translates. Poor little guy. Or pobrecita, poor little girl. So I thought comfort was pobrecito. You know, pat the head and feel sorry for the person that's less fortunate than you. That's not comfort. I'm going to read the original in Greek. I know a little Greek. He runs a pizza parlor in Chicago. He's about that tall. <laughs> That's funny right there. I don't care who you are. <laughs> this is Greek for the word comfort. Ask, a, answer this question in your mind. Where is the pity? See, the problem with pity, it turns to self-pity. And when you become self-pitiful, you're a waste of human time and space. Self-pitiful people, they just, I just don't have time for you. I'm sorry, but I love you, but I just don't want to hang with you. Self-pity is like COVID-19. It rubs off on you. It's deadly. This is the definition of comfort in the original Greek. Persuasive discourse, stirring address, to be instructive, to give admonition and conciliation with powerful oratory and discourse. Where's that poor little guy stuff in that? Powerful discourse. 
Say I didn't come here today post-pandemic, which I'm believing it is. I didn't come here today to feel sorry for you. And if you're expecting that, you might want to leave now because it's really going to go downhill for you. <laughs> See, in the military, when you go to war and you get hurt, hurt is you come back with something not functioning the way it ought to, or it's totally gone and can't function at all because it's not there. For instance, my thumb. It was blown off completely. They made that out of my hip. My motto is, don't suck your hip. <laughs> it's so gross. And if you're in junior high, you love it. These three fingers and this thumb were blown off, hanging by skin and tendon only. Backwards, dripping, shooting blood out of an open artery. This thumb was going back and forth on a tendon. Only one finger left attached. My face, everything not covered was blown off to the bone. If it's covered, it was burned second degree, and there were enough skin granules to grow back in what's called granulation, and I got my skin back without grafting what's under my hand. Everything else had to be grafted, and that's to take skin from where you were not burned and put it where you were burned after you've gone through three other, two other grafts. There's three grafts you go through. Animal skin graft, human skin graft, and your own skin graft. Animal skin is called hemograft, and it's usually pig skin or rat or, or it's horrible to think about, it, but it's rodent skin. Or after that, you get a cadaver skin. For instance, I've wheeled my body to the hospital that saved my life, to Brook Army Medical in San Antonio, where I have now finished 60 surgeries, and the last one was just before COVID in March of last year. My last one. I don't count the ones since then because they didn't put me to sleep, but I've had three more. I only count the surgeries where they put me to sleep. 60 of them. Well, my first graft was pig skin. I felt like a football. <laughs> Did you get it? Pig skin and stitches. They drop kicked me through the goalposts of life. Then my second grafting was human skin because it was a sailor. A guy in the military donated his skin to the burn center at Brook Army Medical Center, which I've done with my skin so they can study my body after all these years of being burned and recovery, they can study me. Then what's left will be buried above my wife at the National Cemetery so I can still be her covering for what's left of my body over hers. Isn't that cool? I thought that was romantic. That's better than flowers, dude. So the second grafting was human skin and he had a tattoo. Now I've never had a tattoo in my life except one. I got that boy's tattoo. And my doctors and I were always, we were always cutting up with each other, pulling pranks on each other. They got the last word. They gave me his tattoo <laughs> on my face. But it wasn't gonna grow. Human skin has to be your own skin to grow. And <clears throat> they put the tattoo of the ship on my face so I was ship-faced for a short period of time. I thought you'd like that if you're in the military or not. Am I, am I okay, Pastor? <laughs> His wife said, okay, he's still thinking about it. She's cool. <laughs> so, I'm telling you, I'm laughing in the face of my tragedy. I make fun of the devil's biggest effort 
to pluck me out of the hand of God. I ridicule his best effort to destroy my body because he knows he cannot destroy my spirit. Don't you get it? See, I'm trying to comfort you by saying, so we took a hit. Some of you went through divorce. I'd rather go through 10 Vietnams. I'd rather go through a thousand Vietnams and lose my wife. But I'm gonna tell you something, folks. I've been to the brink. I've stared into the darkness, but I never let the darkness stare back into me. That's when it's over. That's when you take your life. And Kathy was right. Don't let suicide become one of those things, those hitchhikers you pick up. And some of you need to hear me say that again. Don't pick up the hitchhiker of suicidal thoughts because the day that darkness stares back into you, there's a thousand ways to take your life, but there's only one way to keep it. And that's in the hope found in Jesus Christ. Go ahead, go ahead. It's all about Jesus. So I'm gonna tell you, if you're going through that time of darkness in your life, loss of a spouse, I can empathize, not just sympathize, I'd rather empathize and say, I understand how you feel I've been there rather than say, oh, pobrecito. No, no, no. I'm telling you, I understand. And understanding how somebody feels is to share their pain with them. That's called empathy. But let's get through it. Let's get over it. Let's quit staring in the darkness, right? Amen? Amen. Let's look this pandemic, put it behind us instead of looking at it in front of us. Put it behind you. Wear the mask when you need to, when you want to. That's fine. I don't care. Most of the time, if you wear a mask, they call you a Democrat. I don't know why, but that's what they call you. And if you didn't appreciate that, I can tell you some things about Trump I didn't like either. I am not looking for a human government. I'm looking for a king on a throne, not a man in a White House to be our deliverance. Come on. Jesus is the answer. No political party can do for us what Christ can. And the sooner they learn that in Washington, the faster we'll get through this. I don't care who's sitting in the White House. I don't care who's sitting on the bench in the Supreme Court. God doesn't sit on a bench. He sits on a throne. Amen. I'm sick of human politics. Frankly, it's so disgusting to me. And it's good to be disgusted with human government. The sooner we can shed their control, the faster we'll find the control of the Spirit of God in our life sets us free. And that's the freedom I'm looking for, not granted by some government, but given by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you don't understand that and you prefer human government, go for it. Let's see what that does for you, what it's done for other people groups in this country. Government by man can never set us free. It is always going to take us into bondage. So with that said, I fought for my country because I still believe in it. And it's getting more difficult today than I've ever had to believe in my country. But I'm still believing that we are still one nation under God. When they take under God out, I don't give a rip about this country. If they take God out of it, we're nothing more than joining the ranks of the worst of the worst. We are a fourth world country at that point. I don't care what kind of strength and military strength or prosperity we may have. Without God, I don't have any confidence in this country. We're one nation under God indivisible. That's where liberty and justice for all comes from. And you're not hearing that from the lips of a guy that's not sacrificed for this country. On July the 26th, 1969, 
Yes, teenager, I know you think that's right after the War of 1812. It's after, but not right after. I picked up a white phosphorus hand grenade and held in my hand my destiny and did not know it. That day, a sniper would take a shot at my head and miss. He hit my hand as I held the white phosphorus grenade that burns at 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. The bullet hit the grenade. It does not need a fuse. It does not need a trigger. It needs only to compromise the casing and air touches phosphorus. Phosphorus explodes. It blew in full strength right where I'm holding my right hand. I was in this position and the grenade blew. Blew my face off. I looked down. My chest was ripped up. My back was on fire. Skin dripped from my waist up. Over half my skin was gone from my waist. My total loss of skin came at about 50% third degree. I had the lower extremities to get skin from, from my face, arms, back, neck, chest, all this had to be covered with my own skin. Thank God I had enough to do that. Otherwise, then they'd have to go back and harvest again and again and again. They only had to harvest twice the skin on my legs because skin grows back where they take skin. It grows back. They don't take it all. They leave enough to grow back. But that day, I went blind in my eye, I went deaf in my ear, the grenade blew my hair off in Vietnam. My hair was blown off in South Carolina the other day in a high wind. <laughs> I was chasing it across the parking lot. It's worse, a dog brought it back. You know how embarrassing that is? There was a four-star general. He wasn't standing beside me. He's down on both knees laughing so hard he's crying. So yes, it's a hairpiece, an artificial ear. It comes off, I won't, but it does. Sometimes it does when I don't want it to come off. I was preaching in Jamaica one night and 10,000 people did this. <gasps> Covered their mouth wide-eyed, sucking air like a hoover, pointing at me. I checked my fly, something not right. Man's gotta do what a man's gotta do. My fly was fine, I look around, my ear was laying on my shoulder. It sweated right off like a wet Band-Aid. I didn't know it fell off. I dried the sweat and stuck it back on. They thought it was a miracle and they all got saved. That's a true story. I couldn't tell them it was a phony ear. They would have thought I was a phony preacher and would have stoned me. I'm not going to come here and tell you I went to Jamaica and got stoned. What am I doing? I'm laughing at the devil's best effort. You see, he lowered the boom and fired. He took his best shot. And I'm still here because no weapon formed against me can prosper. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. We're more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who strengthens us. Don't you get it, folks? This pandemic is the devil's biggest effort, and we're still here worshiping God. Come on, give it up for Jesus. This isn't about me. It's about him. And that being said, if I don't get that message across, I failed. Don't you leave this place saying, boy, that Dave Reaver had some message. My message is not about Dave Reaver. It's a message about Christ because I'd be the biggest loser in the house without him. I jumped off my riverboat. I was in the Navy Special Warfare Command. I was a SWIC sailor. Special Warfare, SWIC, Special Warfare Command. I, there's three of us in our organization. The Navy SEALs the special dive vehicle teams and the Brownwater Black Beret, which I was, although that name is now changed to special boat teams, and we are assigned to SEAL teams. And I drove the fastest boats in the, I drove the fastest war boats in the world. It was a lot of fun. I loved my job. With a bunch of SEALs on board, we'd go to battle. 
And I'm going to tell you, we had the highest killed in action per capita. And you can't prove it because if they don't retrieve your body, even though they know you're dead, you're not KIA killed in action. You're MIA missing in action until they find a body part. So when I say we had the highest killed in action, I can't prove it. But I was told it, and after being in war, I discovered it. The last thing I said to my wife when I was in, when I was in Love Field, of all places in Dallas, heading to war, I walked away without a single tear. Tough guy, special operator, U.S. Navy. Five steps later, she said, Davey, and the tough guy melted. Tears burst over the lower lid of the dam that held back all my emotions. I tears, I turned around mad at him. I said, what? She said, are you coming back? I'll never forget that. I wanted to ask her that when she passed. Are you coming back? But I knew she wasn't. She said, Davey, are you coming back? I said, I'll be back without a scar. Where'd that come from? <laughs> I could have just said, I'll be back. Then I could be governor of California. No, I had to put that scar thing in there, which was God's way of telling me with my own lips, it would be a self-fulfilling prophecy. I would come back, but I would be mutilated. And the man that she married, that handsome young prince, would turn into the frog. Almost croaked. <laughs> Oh, come on now. That's funny. I just thought of that. That is funny. I need to laugh a little more. Thank you for letting me laugh. I can be me here. Y'all don't put anything on me that won't let me be me. Thank you. It's one of the reasons I come back. You don't expect me to do something. You just let me be me. Thank you. I don't need hairspray. <laughs> That's not funny, is it? <laughs> oh, come on, Reaver. Get it together, bro. Woo. Ah. So I swam across the water, and my skin was everywhere. I was beside myself. <laughs> That's good. I needed to pull myself together. I crawled up on the riverbank, and I looked at the damage, and I fell over backwards. They all thought I died. But I wasn't dead. I was tired, swimming, burning. Boy, it makes you tired. <laughs> Wore me out. And a helicopter landed to pick me up. They rolled me on a stretcher. I was still burning. Ask any military guy in this room, man, man or woman that's been trained in military, phosphorus is not extinguished by water. I was burning in the water. I'm burning out of the water. Two weeks later, they opened me up to do surgery, and I burst into flames on the table because the phosphorus inside of me had not yet had enough oxygen to explode. When they opened me up, I started burning. They nicknamed me Hot Stuff from that point on. <laughs> Later on, they changed my name to Crispy Critter. <laughs> I thought that was funny. They rode me on the stretcher. I caught the stretcher on fire. When they started running, it ripped open. I fell through on my head. You ever have one of those days? <laughs> Nothing goes right. They rolled me up in wet blankets, got me on another stretcher in the helicopter. Away we go. And you have not heard me say one word about pain, but in the helicopter, probably 1,500 feet off ground, the pain hit. And folks, there's not a word I've ever heard in any language that can describe what it felt like to be on fire. And I let out a yell, 
medic. And when I did, it scared him so bad. He thought I was dead. He almost jumped out of the helicopter. Pilot lost control. We're dropping like a rock. And I thought, oh, Lord, we're going to crash. I'll be the only survivor. <laughs> it's like the day they told me in boot camp, you went to college. I said, yeah, I went to Bible college. I was flunking out. My grades were below sea level. <laughs> I thought you'd like, that's why I joined the Navy. I was being drafted to join the Navy so I wouldn't get hurt. <laughs> that really worked. I got up one morning and had a bad decade. And he said, you're leadership material. And I thought, I'm a Bible college flunky and I'm leading. We're going to lose this war. Well, that day, the war was over for me. I never dreamed I could serve my country again. Like Nathan Hale, I thought this was the only life I had. Not knowing that one day, many years later, Department of Defense would call me up and say, would you serve again? Not in the military uniform, but as a contractor. 2001, they sent me into the military to minister to our troops to this day. And I'm already scheduled for this year with our troops all over the country and around the world. Because that day on the bank of that river, the God I served showed up. And he gave me a reason to live when everything was knocked out of me and out from under me. I had nothing left but my hope in Christ. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But to live is Christ was the option I chose that I could do something for God and country again one day. And I want to tell you, I have no regrets. Let me say it again with these lips that have been on restored five years ago. They made my face again five years. If I showed you the picture, some of you would throw up in this room. Five years ago, they made me a nose. I'm so proud of it, it's a boy. They made me eyelids. They made my lips. I used to drool all the time. My mouth was inverted. My nose was pulled over. I had only this piece right here. And they made me eyelids. They don't blink, but I can close them by forcing it shut with the muscles of my face, but I don't have any eyelid muscles. That's why it doesn't blink. And now I'm sitting here today because God had a plan for my life on the bank of that river. He had a plan for my life on the day I was born to a woman that would not survive my birth. He had a plan for my life the day he created Adam and Eve. He had a plan for yours. He knew you before you were ever conceived, much less born. Don't you get it? God is sovereign. He makes the rules, bro. It's not decided by the government. The government said, you've been injured. This is their comfort. They gave me a percentage disability for each finger. They gave me a percentage disability for a thumb that was blown off and got back on, but doesn't work. But because it's there, it was not the percentage disability as this, and it was blown off. They gave me a percentage disability for no face, losing my identity. And then they took a tape measure and square measure, measure square inches of damage all over my body and gave me a percent disability. Added it all up. I'm 240% not. Our, the Navy only pays you for 100%. Where's justice in that? You see, they took me off my horse and they put me on a stretcher and said, you're 100% permanently and totally disabled and unemployable. 
So they give me $36,000 a year because they think I can't make it on my own. I'm unemployable. I want you to look at this. See these three fingers that don't work? And there's something, look here. A mic stand. Look at that, see that? That's a one-way finger. Put them together and this is what you get. Repent! You see, I have a job. I'm employable. I'm a man of God that preaches the gospel. I'm called an evangelist. You know what I'm saying to you? Quit letting the world define who you are. They're going to tell you you can't, you're not, you'll never. Don't listen to that. Listen to the God that says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Everyone in this room has a mission in life when you're acquainted with the mission sender, the Son of God. He gives you a reason to live. I could keep you all. Let me check my time. I got to close. I want to tell you the rest of the story, Paul Harvey. I got out of that hospital after a year and two months. The last two months in the hospital, and I didn't know how long I'd be there, but it ended up being that eight weeks, two months before I was released from the hospital, I started sneaking out on what we call Saturday night, but it was actually Sunday morning about four or five o'clock in the morning. I'd sneak out of the hospital and I was crawling beneath the top of the level of the desk of our nurse, ward nurse, who was mean as a junkyard dog. I think she was a Marine and had tattoos on her chest. You know what I mean? I didn't want to look, but I think. Oh, she, she'd wake us up throwing a bedpan. Thank God it was empty down the corridor. And clang, bang, everybody wake up screaming, incoming. She was mean. I crawled past her desk because I didn't want her to see me sneaking out. First time I snuck out, I went over and I, one nanosecond later, I would have pushed the button on the elevator. And the Lord said, don't touch that button. I didn't hear it in my ear, but I heard it in my heart. Don't, because when the elevator came, it'd go ding, and that would wake her up, because she was snoring. I knew she was asleep. But that ding would have woke her up, because her superior would have come in, and she would have pretended she'd awake all night. I walked, crawled, actually sat down on my backside one step at a time, went down four flights of stairs. By the time I got to the evergreen tree where I would take off my pajama bottoms and try to put on my jeans, I was a bloody mess. All the grafts that they had taken off my legs, they put this gauze on and the blood settles into that gauze. The gauze is like steel and concrete. It holds the concrete together. That gauze would hold the scab together. And then one day after that skin grows back underneath, they grab that gauze and just rip it off. Oh, you want to kill that doc? You want to kill him so bad. Oh, you want to set him on fire and gauze him. That day, my jeans were soaked. And the pastor that had come to see me that week said, when do you get out of the hospital? I said, I get out Sunday morning. I didn't tell him how. I said, I'll be down behind the evergreen tree in the parking lot. Because I could see it from my window. I knew right where to go. Five o'clock, he rolls up. I can't get my jeans on because the skin now, the gauze was sticky blood. And I couldn't get my jeans on. And I only had this little finger to pull with because these fingers were still, if I pulled with them, they'd have come off. I couldn't get my, so the pastor is behind the evergreen tree 
pulling up my pants, zipping, snapping, and attaching my, I'm saying, oh, thank God there's not a cameraman here today. We'd both be ruined. That was my first of eight times written up AWOL until the doctors finally said, on my defense, quit writing him up. He goes out broken, he comes back healed. Eight times I went out broken emotionally, eight times I came back stronger. You see, because when God has a plan for your life, you've just got to get back into the saddle. Get off your stretcher and back on your horse and ride because you're not dead, church. You're alive at the most important time in your human history. This is the hour the church can shine like never before. I've not seen this picture, but it's an artist's con concept of General Washington assisting a wounded soldier back on the horse, and underneath the caption says, General Washington comforts the soldier. I'm here today to comfort you, telling you get off the stretcher and get on the horse, because if you're not on that horse already, that stretcher will become very addictive very quickly, and you'll become of no value to the kingdom of God, and that's no way to live. Amen, church? Amen. So I want to close by telling you the story of the end of this tragedy the way I see it. See, the tragedy was I got hurt. You say, well, you're still hurt. Yes, 60 operations and 50-something years later, I'm still hurt. And I don't know how many more surgeries are still out there. I hope none. But the point is, that's physical. I had to get well spiritually. Those eight weeks, those two months were the beginning. But I want to tell you what happened when I got to the hospital at Brook Army Medical Center when they brought me out of Vietnam through Japan. When I was in Japan, I asked for a mirror, which was stupid. They brought one, which was stupid. And I looked up with my good eye and I saw what was left. And I knew I didn't want Brendan to see it because I promised I'd be back without a scar. And perchance I would live, she would see the condition I was in. But if I was dead, they would never open that casket. So I decided to take it out of God's hands, take it out of my wonderful doctor's hands, and I decided that I would take my life. That's when the darkness stared back into me. That's when I lost my hope. And I did something I'm ashamed of. I had no gun or knife or handful of pills. I was administered my medication through the tube that went into my body, and that was my solution. Pull the tube, and I did. And I laid my head back, I even laid what was left of my hands across my chest so that I would die with my hands across my chest. <laughs> I got hungry. I pulled the wrong tube. I did, I pulled, they don't label them. Suicide tube, blood tube, food tube. They don't do that. <laughs> I got chewed out like I'd never been chewed out in my life. Those doctors were so mad at me because they knew what I was trying to do. <laughs> they got me to America. Brook Army Medical Center. Two events real quickly. The first event I'm going to share last. The second event I'm going to share first. Second event was they put me in the ICU. Remember that? And they let visitors come in. 
There were 13 of us in there. We were called the Baker's Dozen. We were all burned and we were all in there to die. They did not expect us to live. They didn't want us dying on the main ward. We would be discouraging to those that had a chance to live. So they put us in there so we could discourage each other to death. And I'm the only one that made it. Everyone died but me. But that first day, they let people, and a woman came to see her husband. He was the guy in the bed next to mine. He was 100% third degree where I was 50% but he didn't have TBI, brain damage. And I don't have Dane Bramage. <laughs> no, it's funny if you were listening. He walked up, she walked up to her husband and took off her wedding ring and threw it on the bed. And these are her words. I heard it with my good ear. And I saw it with my good eye. She said, you're embarrassing. I couldn't walk down the street with you. And she walked out. He's not going to live anyway. No one ever survived 100% third degree. She walked out. You're embarrassing, I couldn't walk down the street with you. I thought, oh Lord, the next woman in is a teenage junior high school sweetheart. There's no way she's gonna look at me and continue our relationship in marriage. It's over. I looked at the tubes and again, they weren't marked. I didn't know which one to pull. Before I could make a decision, she's standing at my bed, this beautiful little teenage girl. She bent down and kissed what was left in my face, looked me in my good eye. And she said, I want you to know I love you. <laughs> Welcome home, Davy. And when she called me Davy, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I said, Doc, I'm getting better. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry, baby. She said, why? I said, I can't look good for you. I broke that promise that I had made her. I said, I can't ever look good for you again. She said, baby, you never were good looking. <laughs> and y'all laugh, y'all are cold as she was. We both laughed and I promise you laughing hurt me a lot more than it did her. Oh, it hurt to laugh, every bone in my body ached laughing. I didn't get here because I'm tough. I'm not here because I'm good looking. I'm not tough or good looking. I'm not here because I'm intelligent. I was in the top 10% of the lower one third of my class. I majored in math and I found out five out of four people don't even understand fractions. If you didn't catch that, you were in my class. I'm here because Jesus loved me and he gave me a woman that loved me. And she was everything I could not be and more. And she welcomed me home that day. And now to close the first event. When they took me off the big, huge C-141 hospital jet, they put me on a helicopter at Lackland Air Force Base and flew me over to Brook Army Medical Center at Fort Sam Houston, San Antonio. And they took me into a room called debridement. And there's people in this room who've been burned, know exactly what I'm talking about. And please, if you need to step out as I describe this, I totally get it. So don't feel bad. But I'm gonna describe in minuscule terms what I went through. They put me in a tank called the Hubble tank. It's like a big, stainless steel bathtub with about eight inches of pure saline water in it. 
And when they lower you in, your body displacement causes the water to rise. And as you lay it, the water will come about halfway up your face. Not enough to get into your breathing orifices, your mouth or your nose. And then they start splashing water on your charcoal because your, your body skin becomes charcoal. And they soften it enough that they can rip it off. They can cut it off. They fillet you. Literally. They can't give you enough drugs to take the pain away that you'd become, you'd overdose and kill you. It's that simple. And if they don't give you something, the pain will kill you. You can't endure it without something, but it's never enough. You're caught between that rock and the hard spot, they call it. I didn't know it was coming. When they put me in the tank, started splashing the water on me, the water felt good compared to the pain I'd known. And I laughed and I said, do I get rubber duckies? I'm the only one that laughed. Six attendants, physician assistants, six of them, three on each side. They knew what was coming next. And on someone's cue, they reached in their pockets of those white smocks thing they were, reached over with those pinchers, pliers, tools, scaffolds, scissors, and started ripping, tearing. They're trying to get that skin off you before you know what happened. And they have to do this twice a day, every day, till they get all the dead skin off. Because if they don't, you'll get gangrene and you die when it becomes systemic. Your kidneys cannot, they cannot cleanse that much garbage out of your blood. You die of kidney failure. They tore into me and I went nuts. It hurt like nothing I've ever known. Being burned is way down the line of the pain of being debridement, being debrided. Ask anyone in this room that's been debrided. I reached up and I grabbed the hair of one of the attendants and I flipped her with these fingers that were still strong. Not this hand, those fingers were, they were, they were attached now with stitches, but the stitches weren't, they couldn't hold. Stitches were in flesh, not in skin. I reached up and grabbed her with these four fingers, no thumb, and I flipped her clear into that tank and I had her head down in the water. I was literally trying to murder that woman. I thought she was trying to kill me. I'm gonna kill her first. She just happened to have a hair a little bit longer than the others. Well, she was never at risk. Five other attendants had her out of that tank immediately, but her hair now is filled with my skin and her white uniform is pink with my diluted blood. And reality hit me, what have I just done? I was so embarrassed. She washed her face and hand, went right back to work on me to save my life. When I'd had all I could take, which is way before they thought, they said he's had enough and I agreed and they lifted me with a little hoist out, put me on a gurney and as they were pushing me down to that room that we nicknamed Death Row, the ICU, the medic pushing me on a cart that had a wobbly wheel on it, rattle, rattle, sound like a Walmart shopping cart, driving me nuts. I've already had enough pain and surprises. I didn't need that wheel. And then the medic says, in the morning at 8.30, I'm gonna come get you. We're gonna do this again. I looked up at him off that gurney and I said, not you or the entire United States Army is big enough to put me back in that tank again. You say, well, that's bravado. Yeah, it was, but I was right. Because if I kill myself, they're not gonna put me back in that tank. And I wasn't gonna let them do that to me again. I'd take my life before I'd let them hurt me like that again. At least I thought I would. Till he said, well, okay, you're gonna die. Well, I didn't wanna hear that anymore. I wanted to hear that wheel. I said, okay, let's make a deal. 
I said, if you're going to do that to me in the morning, don't tell me. Surprise me. If I don't knew you were going to do it to me today, you wouldn't have done it. So don't tell, surprise me. He said, what's the difference? I said, now I'm going to be awake all night with anxiety attacks knowing hell's coming on a blue draped gurney and I'm going to have to go through this again. And I was right. When they got me into my bed with that air mattress, I never slept a wink knowing all night, no matter how many pills and drugs they put in me, I'm not sleeping because I knew what was coming at 8.30. And boy, was I right. I could hear that wheel announcing the arrival of the angel of pain coming to pick me up. And they got on each end of the bed. You know how they grabbed the sheet? One, two, three. When they swung me over, the guys on the feet end dropped me. And I hit right between the gurney and the bed. And when I did, the bed starts separating at the feet end because I threw my arms out and I'm holding on with my elbows to the head end, but I had nothing to hold on because my feet hit the, the ground, hit the floor, and that jarring went through my body. I, it was horror. It was hell on earth. I yelled, oh, and my life would take a change. As big as finding out I wasn't the Mexican I thought I was, I would go through another drastic change. He was six foot seven at least, 350 pounds at least, not a body, not, not a, an ounce of body fat at least. The most perfect human specimen I've ever seen. When he moved, cannonballs popped up on his chest, shoulders, and arms. He wore a tight shirt that showed him off. He reached down, one arm under my head, and I stiffened my neck to give him leverage. And he put the other forklift arm under my body and lifted me like a feather. He's holding me, pulling me against his chest and turned. I looked up into a face I'd never seen before. He was bald. He was black. And his name was Rosie. And he had a tattoo right there that said Rosie so he could remember. I'm telling you the God's truth. Every word out of my mouth is the truth. He didn't put me on a gurney. No gurney for Rosie. He hand carried me all the way down that corridor to that place we called hell. Debreedment. So we went twice a day from death row to hell to death row to hell every day. He carried me. Bent over that hubble tank side, lowered me into the water, pulled those giant forklifts out. Folded those arms, backpedaled, stepped against the wall, leaned against the wall. And the morning sun coming through that day in its golden hue reflected on that beautiful ebony skin. Streams of fire reflecting that morning sun. Tears dripping on his arms. His lips were moving. Rosie was praying. <laughs> for me. Just knowing someone cared enough, loved enough to pray for me, gave me strength to endure the pain I was in. When I was reaching for a nurse's hair, they said he's had enough. And they said, Rosie, come, and he reached down in that water, that murky, bloody mess, and picked me up, and they dried his arms off, and they dabbed my body with terry cloth skin uh, towels, 
on where I had no skin. And he turned and as he walked, carrying me like a limp rag over those huge arms, he said these words. And I share this everywhere I go. I won't speak if I can't share this. As he carried me, he said, you'll be fine, big man. You'll see. You'll be fine. You'll be fine, big man. You'll see. This is an exact quote over and over. You'll be fine, big man. You'll see. You'll be fine. I can't tell you how many times he said it. Got me to my death row bed, lowered me against that air mattress, pulled those forklifts out, turned and faced me. I looked up into the eyes of a man I did not know and never seen. Those Auburn eyes looked like a universe. I think I saw Venus and Jupiter and Mars, the sun, the moon, the stars. I think I looked in the face of, well, I don't know. Maybe you can answer. With his giant hand, he reached up and a piece of hair somehow on the backside of my head, just a little patch had survived. He stroked it with a mother's touch. He said it one more time. You'll be fine, big man. You'll see, you'll be fine. Then he reached down, bent down, did something I've never let a man do. He kissed my forehead. Looked me in the eyes and said it one more time. You'll be fine, big man. You'll see. You'll be fine. When he turned and walked away, I wondered, who is Rosie? What is Rosie? Fast forward 20 years, I'm speaking for the Grand occasion of the Oregon Air National Guard, 4th of July event, 20,000 people came to hear me speak. I was in heaven. I get through speaking, the crowd's dispersing, and a woman walks up, very finely dressed in a business-type suit, perfect hair, kind of salt pepper, about 10 or 12 years older than me. She looked at me and she said, you're Dave, right? I said, yes, ma'am. I was a speaker. She said, I know. There was no big screen. I thought maybe she was trying to identify the speaker. How could I not be? A guy with no face, no ears. You know, I didn't have all that then. This is 30 years ago, 20 years after my injury. Do the math. She said, well, I thought it was you, but your real name's not Dave, it's David. I said, yes, man. She said, Dave's your nickname. I'm thinking, yeah, my name's not Bartholomew. She said, but that's your middle name. Oh, now wait just a minute. How would she know that's my middle name? She said, your first name is Milton. I said, yes. She said, you're Milton David Reaver. I said, yes. Who are you? She said, I'm the nurse you pulled into the tank 20 years ago. I was embarrassed. I'm so sorry. She said, I thought it was you, but I didn't recognize you with your clothes on. Don't go to Sunday school with your nurse. It's very revealing. We laughed. And then I said, do you remember a guy named Rosie. If I thumped her on the head with a two by four, she blinked, staggered, like she came out of a trance. She said, I haven't thought of him in years. He had a tattoo right there. And said, I said, that's him. Do you know where he is? She said, I have no idea. I said, do you know what his real name was? She said, all I remember is Rosie. I said, do you know where he came from? Maybe he's there. She said, I don't know where he came from. I said, when did he come to Brook Army Medical Center, Burn Ward? Without hesitation, she said, when you did. I said, when? 
did he leave? She said, when you did. Now all my friends tell me Rosie was an angel. Could be. Do angels have tattoos? And what idiot's going to hold the angel while another idiot tattoos him? I hope he's not an angel. And no offense to angels, because there's probably a few here. You just never know. But what I do know is, if he's an angel, he's on assignment just doing what his commander says do. But if he's a man, he's on a mission and he didn't have to. He chose to love me that day. He didn't care what color I was. He didn't care. And I don't need a sign to tell me how to love somebody. I care because I'm a man on a mission like Rosie. I choose to be a man on a mission to love this world that Jesus gave himself for so he could give himself to. And I'm going to tell you today, UConn's not looking for another mighty man. They're looking for somebody who is on a mission to love them. They'll carry them where they can't get on their own. Love them when they don't love themselves. Encourage them when they're incorrigible. Care when no one else cared. Be a rosy to somebody today. There's enough angels. There's just not enough rosies to go around. Be a rosy, which is in essence saying we are the body of Christ. His tattoos are known as scars. Out of our suffering, we can say, I know how you feel. And we can comfort one another without pity. We can help them get back on the horse and ride. Have I made myself clear? I'm Dave Reaver, and I approve of this message. Sit down. Do you have three minutes and 50 seconds you can spare? I have a little short video I want to show you that'll make it clear what I mean when I talk about doing something for others. This will show you the places I go for my country today. There's not one picture out of, in this out of Vietnam that I can recall. This is what I do today. You'll see the ranches that I've built for our warriors to come to, one in Texas, one in Colorado. You'll see the men and women that I minister to at these ranches, but you'll also see the most difficult thing I've ever been asked to do for my country. And it's not go to war in Vietnam or survive the Hubble tank. The most difficult thing I've ever done is to bring home off the battlefield where falling in valor for our f freedom, men and women have given their lives and they're now in what the military calls transfer cases, we call caskets, covered in American flags, lined up on that C-131, traveling through the wee hours of the morning, headed to Baghdad where they'll be prepared for the shipment home to Delaware to the National Mortuary. I've sat many a night 
with tears wondering, is the next Mother Teresa that nurse that was killed at Balad? Is the next Billy Graham the man in the other casket that could have been, would have been, and should have been the greatest evangelist of all modern times now? You see, we will never know in this life. We'll never know the true cost of freedom. We try to figure it out, but we can never know. You'll see the most difficult thing I've ever been asked to do is bring home our heroes in a little video that we call The Angel Flight. Would you please show that for me? Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. 
Now you've seen my heart. You've felt my heart. You know my heart. You've seen the private resources of my emotions that I can't hold back most of the time anymore. I don't even try. Because I just want to be real and be me. Whatever me is, I want to be what God made me to be. I just want to be a rosy to those who've given so much. There's another angel flight coming. I got a ticket, and the day that ticket's punched, I'm going to go home to a hero's welcome. Just like you, we will have survived to the last battle. But if you're not ready to make that flight, if you don't have that ticket, I got good news and bad news. Let's do the bad news first. If you don't get it right today, you don't get a ticket. If you get it right, you get that ticket. That's the good news. He gave himself for us, as I said earlier, so he could give himself to us. But giving himself to us is only validated when you accept him. Because if you don't accept him, his gift is wasted. His blood is for nothing. But he died because our sin should have killed us. But it killed him. He died for us because of our sin. I think we owe it to him to give something back. So if you would, if you have a right relationship with Christ, join me in a prayer. We're gonna renew our vows right now. We do this in our vow renewal session for couples that are going through separation and divorce at our ranch in Colorado. It's always filled, we have to do multiple sessions because it always bumps more people into another session because we have so many going through the tragedy of their marriage being attacked in our military. They're losing that battle without hope and we are their hope. And we do these marriage vow renewals and it's always special. Take our renewal vow offer this morning. Let's do that. But if you are not in a right relationship with Christ, Good morning to get married. (laughs) Why don't you make some vows with us as we renew our vows. We are returning, quote unquote, to our first love. Let this be your first love. Return to that first love. Pray this prayer and make it your vow. And let's do this together out loud. You don't even have to bow your heads. You don't even have to close your eyes. Let's just pray it together. God's not deaf, so you don't have to yell. And he's not nervous, so you don't have to whisper. Let's just confess with our mouth that he is the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, born without sin, raised from the dead, and coming back. Are you ready? Let's do this together. Lord Jesus, I truly love you. I thank you. You gave yourself for me by your death on the cross. You gave yourself to me after your resurrection from the dead. By your spirit, I am drawn to you.
O Heavenly Father. Forgive me of all my sins as I confess your Son, Jesus, is the Son of God. He died for my sin. I truly regret and I truly repent of all my sins, known and unknown. And this day, I confess you are my Savior. Not only risen, but coming back for me one day. You will find me ready because from this day forward, I'm a child of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for my new beginning. I'm a born again, Bible-believing follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering in this house. There's some new names just got written down in heaven. Pastor's coming at this time. He'll take the mic and close as is appropriate and you're accustomed to, but I do want to tell you, in his great and beautiful, generous spirit, he's allowed you to have an opportunity to contribute to our ministry. You remember what I said about those sales products? I don't take any of that money. It does not come to me. You need to know that at the end of the year, I have given back all of my salary and more to the ministry. I am blessed to be retired from the military and I'm also blessed to be getting back my money I put into Social Security. It was mine to start with and keep your hands off of it, government. It's mine. I get it back. I don't get it all, but I get some of it. And I'm doing fine. So I don't want you to think that in solicitation of your contribution, I'm going to enhance my lifestyle. Uh uh. In fact, I would save a lot of money if I didn't work at all. But I'm not in to save money, I'm in to save souls. How about you? So when you give today, you're giving to help me do a job that is not yet finished at Eagle Summit Ranch, Texas. Remember, I have two one in Colorado, you saw. It's all finished, paid for, don't owe a penny. All that, millions and millions of dollars, you don't pay one penny interest on anything up there. I have a 2.9% interest on less than $200,000 on about an $8 million piece of property in Texas. And the reason I hadn't paid it off is because we're still building and I didn't want to borrow money at 8% to pay off the building we're doing when I could pay cash instead of paying cash to pay off 2.9%. Did you see what I'm trying to say? I will finish that mortgage off in the next couple of years. Right now, I want to finish building without borrowing at a high rate of interest. I'm not going to buy a banker a new boat, okay? I want a boat I'll buy for myself. I'm not going to give the money to a banker to buy one for him. So here's my point. If you'll help me finish off an overflow for our brand new pavilion that was built by Hobby Lobby, one of your Okies, who I love, David and his wife, Mrs. Green, they're two of the sweetest people in the world who love Dave Reaver. And they continue to give huge to help me. But I don't go to them with incidentals. I just go with them the big stuff. (laughs) I say, here's my big need. And they built the pavilion, but I'm not asking them to build the overflow. We finished pouring a foundation floor that I didn't know I was going to build. I I wanted to be sawdust with that old mentality of the old style. But wheelchairs were unstable on it. So I had to put in a flooring that cost almost $30,000, we pay cash, finish it, but not enough to finish our overflow, which is out 
which is not under the shed because we have crowds come out there. We can't get them all in the pavilion. Here's my point. I've already paid for all the material, but the, the labor is about 15,000 to finish that off. Would you be willing to help me pay off that 15,000? If you can help with that, I don't know, we can do it all, but I don't know who's in an audience. There may be somebody in this room who can write a check for 15 grand. You do that, and you're my friend forever. It takes a load off me, because I will not borrow a dime to finish that off. I'm just telling you, we're not gonna borrow. We're gonna believe God. I don't think American Express ought to get God's glory, amen? So if you help me with that, I'll be blessed. If you can give a gift of 1,000 or up to 100,000, including that, it is matched every first Monday of the month by Banker Insurance, B-O-E-N-K-E-R in Fort Worth, the largest independent agent in our state. He is a believer. I've known him all of our adult, actually going back to school age. We've been buddies all of our life. He's my dear, dear friend, my biggest donor, He's my sugar daddy, don't mess with him. Pray for my sugar daddy. He'll match every gift of a thousand or more up to a hundred if it's from an individual or a company, but not collective giving. He says, nope, I want to be people who will take a chance with me to give big to a cause that's bigger than them. Folks, if you can do it, do it. You're welcome to do that through the church. It's our preference, you get the church credit. If you're one of our donors already, you don't attend here, you're welcome or anybody's welcome to give it our table on your credit card. If you do that, pastor will get a full report of every contribution given at that table. We will not take a penny out of this place he is not aware of in every contribution you give. I'm accountable. He is my four-star general. I'm his servant. I'm his, I'm his soldier today, okay? Because I trust him and he can trust me. Thank you for your contributions. Thousand is spelled T-H-O. I just want to be sure. And if you don't have a dollar, 50 cents is a gift. Let me tell you why. God doesn't judge us on equal giving. He judges us on equal mercy. I didn't say sacrifice. I said mercy. Let's give a merciful gift. Show mercy to those. I cannot ask for a penny. No warriors ever paid to go through my program. Over 6,000, we quit counting three years ago. Thousands of warriors at two grand per warrior in my program. You see my load. They've never paid a penny. They've already given an arm and a leg. I'm not gonna ask for more. I love you. In sign language, that means I love you, but my thumb got blown off, so I speak sign language with a lisp. I love you. I'm Dave Reaver. I'll see you next time. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor. <laughs>